Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is The Informed Catholic, and welcome to the first Sunday of Lent 2023. All right, so I had a little bit of a rough Saturday, unfortunately. Um, I actually was, it was pretty good for me for the last couple of days, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So the good thing about the first week is can go back on track. So it wasn't that bad. Just Saturday wasn't that bad, but it, it it's going to be a little better. I'm I'm you know I'm understanding now. I think the more you you have to really focus on the readings. The best thing to do for Lent is my opinion is focus on the daily. Uh, scripture readings for Mass. Meditate on those. That way, that's a good way because since those readings are for everybody, meditate on them and focus on them to help you get through your Lenten fast, your your fast for this Lent. All right, so let's begin with uh, the act of contrition in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts, in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to please Pray with me and for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie Lysion, Kyrie Lysion, Kyrie Lysion, Christea Lysion, Christea Lysion, Christea Lysion, Kyrie Lysion, Kyrie Lysion, Kyrie Lysion. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. All right, so there's no Gloria. There's no Gloria now. It's not going to be a Gloria till Easter Sunday or uh, Saturday evening uh, of Holy Week. All right, so let's begin with the readings. All right, the first reading for the first Sunday of uh, Lent for the first week is going to be from the book of Genesis, the creation of our first parents and the fall, the coming of sin into the world. It's chapter 2. Uh, verse 7 to 9, 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. All right. Reading from the book of Genesis, the first book of uh, the five books of Moses. The Lord God formed man out of the clay of the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And so man became a living being. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and placed there the man whom he had formed out of the ground. The Lord God made various trees grow that were delightful to look at, 
and good for food, with the tree of life in the middle of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the animals that the Lord God had made. The serpent asked the woman, Did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? The woman answered the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. It is only about the fruit of the trees, of the tree in the middle of the garden, that God said, You shall not eat it, or even touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die. No, God knows well that the moment you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like gods who know what is good and what is evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eyes, and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and also, and she also gave some to her husband, who with her, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. <clears throat> the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me read it again one more time. A reading from the book of Genesis. It's uh, chapter 2, verses 7 to 9. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. All right. The Lord God formed man out of the clay of the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And so man became a living being. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and placed there the man whom he had formed out of the ground. The Lord God made various trees grow that were delightful to, to look at and good for food with the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the animals that the Lord God had made. The serpent asked the woman, did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? The woman answered the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. It is only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said you shall not eat or even touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. No, God knows well that the moment you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like gods who know what is good and what is evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eyes and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of its, some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Psalm 51. And the response is, Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. Have mercy on me, O God, in your goodness, in the greatness of your compassion. Wipe out my offense. Thoroughly wash me from my guilt, and of my sins cleanse me. O merci be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. For I acknowledge my offense, and my sin is before me always. Against you, you alone have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. A clean heart create for me, O God, and a steadfast spirit renew within me. Cast me not out from your presence, and your Holy Spirit take not from me. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. Come back, I'm sorry, give back the joy of your salvation, and a willing spirit sustain in me. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. Okay. A reading from a letter of St. Paul to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 12 to 19. Where sin increased, there grace increased all the more. Brothers and sisters, through one man sin entered the world, and through sin death, and thus death came to all men, in, in as much as all sinned, for up to the time of the law sin was in the world. Though sin is not accounted when there is no law, but death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin, after the pattern of the trespass of Adam, who is the type of the one who was to come. But the gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one that the many died, how much more did the grace of God and the gracious gift of the, of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow for the many. And the gift is not like the result of the one who sinned. For after one sin, for after one sin, there was the judgment that brought condemnation. But the gift after many transgressions brought acquittal for if by the transgression of the one death came to reign through the, through that one but how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of justification came to reign in life through the one Jesus Christ in conclusion in conclusion, just as through one transgression condemnation came upon all, so through one righteous act acquittal and life came to all. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. First, before the gospel, from Matthew 4, verse 6, one does not live on bread alone, but on 
every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Jesus Christ. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. The tempter, Satan, approached and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to him, All these I shall give to you, if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the book, The Life of Christ, Fulton Sheen has a chapter where he deals with the um, the temptations in the desert. We're only given three um, in Matthew. Luke deals with the same thing, although he slightly uh, changes the, the last two around. It just basically uh, depends on um, the sources, but it's still the same thing. All three are the same. The first one, right, is if you are truly the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. The best thing to do is, first of all, is that why does he come to him after 40 days? Why? Why after 40 days? And it's it's basically, I think, I don't think he knew what to make of him. 
He doesn't he doesn't know what to make of him. He can't get into his head. He can't get into his imagination. You see, because we're in a state of sin, we can be easily read and studied. The demons study us, according to, to, to exorcists. You know, they can't put something in our head that they don't know about. They, 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 they already have all the data information of what makes us tick and what makes us weak. And they have to figure that out, I guess, when you could say what from our strong points. Our weak points, those are the things that they have to figure out. Like, for example, I remember my friend and Henry and I will tell you this, Father Rutler, we used to go to his Good Friday services in Manhattan. And he said something one time, I remember, um, don't think that if the devil tempts you with food, that he thinks very highly of you. All right. You know, if if food is your weakness, he does not think very highly of you. So in a sense, yeah, the bread is not we have to look carefully. Bread is not uh as though he figured as though he's thinking less of Jesus. No. <clears throat> Excuse me. The term bread is a way uh the devil knows, a way to it's it's about the world. It's about the injustice of the world. It's about people. End world hunger. End world injustice. What what is the biggest talk these uh the that um activists are always talking about? Right? Racism, inequality, um starvation, right, injustices. All these things are always talked about, you know, and the poor, the poor are a weapon. The masses are a weapon, right? Slavery, uh, inequality, uh, income inequality, the rich are not paying their fair share. That's what the bread is all about. And Jesus' response is, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So that is the real bread. The devil just wants to use 
the materialism of the world to block the word of God. He wants to use all the injustice of the world so that men and women and, and, and all the people do not listen to God. That's what he's trying to do. His first attempt is to make sure that people do not hear the word of God or he can make sure he can filter it. He can censor it. He can control how it's, how it's distributed. Corrupt it. That's the whole point here. That's why. Right? He's hungry. He's starving. You know, he's after 40 days. Um, and the devil comes along and he uses what material he has around him. There's lots of rocks. You know, he, he studied, he studied fallen human beings. He's probably the imagination of them. He's probably heard monks say these rocks are starting to look like loaves of bread. So this information has already there, been there for him. So he has to find some way. So what happens when he, when he encounters Jesus, right? What happens when he throws this idea to him? Well, this guy knows the scriptures. So now I have a little access from him. I have some information about him. He knows the word of God. But he asked him the first time. The only thing he could start a conversation with him was he heard the voice. That he heard. That's why he was able to start that conversation. If you are the son of God, command these stones to be turned to bread. So he heard the voice, but he couldn't figure out the man. All right. That's why he waited 40 days. He just could not figure out this man. He had to figure out his weakness. He tried to get into it. There was no Achilles heel to him. There was no way he could read his imagination. There was no way he could read his mind. You know, the guy, I mean, the man, this man wasn't talking to himself. He was probably, who knows, silent. Doesn't say... Zach doesn't give us many details about the 40 days in the desert, does it? But it only says he was there for 40 days. So for 40 days, he was probably watching him from a distance, staring at him from some corner, some cactus plant or something, right? You can figure this, you know, you can imagine that part, right? Trying to figure out what this guy is like, you know, what, you know, what is he, what is he made of? Only to start off with, well, might as well go with, what, with the information I have first. If you are the son of God, the question is, if you are, command these stones to be turned to bread. He knows men, like I said, men have an imagination. He's seen men in the desert fasting. Stones, these little 
these boulders start looking like lobes of bread. You know? That's all he has. Now he gets the answer. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Okay, so the guy knows the scriptures. Okay, so then he waits a little longer and then finally comes at him again. Right? I'm guessing he, have, he was looking for some kind of scriptural verse. Something. I guess you can think, think of that part. And then suddenly takes him to the temple. Puts him on the edge and says, if you are truly the son of God, jump down from here. For isn't it written that the angels will watch over you and prevent you with their hands from gashing your foot against a stone? And then suddenly he gets the answer back. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Don't put the Lord your God to a test. Okay. Waits a little longer. Then suddenly, can't figure anything away. Can't, he, he can't use sex, right? Can't use anything. I mean, we don't know what, what happened between each temp temptation. We can imagine that every other form of like anything that's related to bread, like the flesh or anything, could have been used, but we doesn't say that. Because bread, and I'm going to take a guess with the whole thing of jumping off the, the, the temple, uh, edge of the temple, is a lot to do with lust for power. You know, remember I mentioned um, like ecclesiastical power to grow, to grow, to, to climb the heights of, of, of the, um, the ranks of, of the temple of, of the religious life. Does he have religious ambitions? You know, the politics in the temple, because someone like John the Baptist abandoned all that. This guy is not looking, I'm talking about Jesus here. So I'm just thinking like, you know, from, from a perspective that someone would think, does he have religious ambitions? Does he have any of those things? Can I use those against him? He obviously doesn't have, um, he doesn't have an activist attitude, you know, like someone fighting for the poor, fighting to end injustices, fighting to end, um, you know, world hunger. Does he have a, a, you know, any of that? Because all these things, they're all vanities. You see how people now, activists, they use and exploit the poor. Some of them are sincere, but some of, but many, but many can become ambitious. So that doesn't work. What happens? Well, don't tempt the Lord your God. So he doesn't use scripture anymore. He doesn't use the, the, the poor. He doesn't use the temple. This guy has no ambitions for those things. So what is his last thing? Fame, power, empire. Does he have political ambitions? You know, 
Does he want to conquer the world? Is he an Alexander the Great? Is he a Julius Caesar? Is he a Caesar Augustus? Does he have global ambition? Does he want to make the world, the globe, a better place? Does he have any of that? Doesn't even use scripture. All He shows him the whole empire of the world and the glory of them in the moments of an eye. All this has been handed over to me and I will give it to anyone I wish. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. That's all he has left. You know, that's all he has left. Is he, can I turn, make him turn against God? Does, can I tell him that all this can be yours? Every man wants to become ruler of the world. This is all I have left. And when you think about it, I mean, it almost follows like the plot of a comic book, really in a sense, but he can't get into his head. He can't read this guy. He has to have global ambition. What I see before me is flesh and blood. There has to be something in him that's weak. And no, be gone, Satan. For you shall worship the Lord your God and only unto him shall you give him homage. And he leaves him. He, ha you know, he, 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 you know, he just goes away. I'm sure there was a lot of time between each one. And I'm sure there was probably, who knows, there could have been other little slightly details between it. But those are the three basics and of, of the attacks. And they're basically... Because they are the three Achilles heels, I think, of human of human nature. Of human nature, basically. And I think looking at it the way, I mean, Fulton Sheen saw it from his day, from the communist and the cultural perspective, but we can understand that there still hasn't been any changes in human nature. Bread can also mean lust. It's all about the body. It's all about the physical. And the, the, the perivus of the temple is, you know, taking him to the edge to jump off a bit. The fact that he put him on top of the temple represents religious ambition. It represents, I think, ambition to, to, in a sense, it's an impediment against God. The fact that he put him right on top of the temple was to make him an impediment between man and God. You know, men who basically see themselves better than the church, better than, than the religious institution that God set up. It's basically the idea of taking a human person and putting him on the ledge of the temple like on top of the edge of it, just at the corner of it, meaning someone who wants power, someone who can become an impediment between God and the church, someone who can become a stumbling block between the ministry 
a Peter, ministry of the priesthood, between the word of God and God. That's what it means, technically. When you think of it that way, you have to see it. Why? Why that? Why that way? I mean, the bread, we can see it has everything to do with the material needs of human beings. You know, some people, there's an old saying, who just eat, drink, and wipe. It's a crude saying, but it's true. They just think of the material. They think of their physical needs. They don't think of anything else. They see only this world and they live to eat the next meal like an animal. And lust. Get drunk. Right? Have sex. But nothing else. Nothing else. I mean, there are people like that. That's all they do. They, 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 you know, they go to work and they, they look for the next meal and they look for the next distraction, whether it's a physical activity, whatever it is, lustful, anything, but doesn't think about more than more that there, there's no more to them or they don't want more. They don't want to think about the spiritual, but when it comes to the temple, basically the religious life, he took him and put him on top of it. And the idea of what he used was to cast yourself down. Cast yourself down. In other words, exploit your power. The angels will come. So that's, that's it, basically. That's the whole um, shebang when you think about it. Because think about how many bad, how many bad priests we've had. Think about how many um, bad bishops we've had. And, you know, we've had bad popes too, you know. But think about the impediment. Think about some of these guys who, who are in the church and sometimes seem like they hate the church. You know, recently the other day I was listening to Father Ripperker and he said that the younger generation is more conservative than the older ones. There are some who are stuck in the 60s. You know, the bad masses, the clown masses, the ridiculous, horrible music. Um, you know, basically they, they, they're stuck in, they're stuck in a time warp. They still think it's 1960. They still think it's 1970. And they can't, they can't really grasp the meaning of, of what of what the liturgy is. That's why the liturgy has to be timeless. The church has to be timeless. The spiritual life has to be timeless. The religious life of a Christian has to be timeless. It has to surpass the, the, the culture, the trends. You see what I'm saying? And a lot of people can't understand that because their life is more in the world than it is in the church. Which is why you see rainbow flags. You see them experimenting with different, um, with different things, bringing in pagan ideas, foreign ideas, uh, new age ideas into it because they can't, they can't, they don't know it. 
There's there's a there's there's a religious part to them, but it's I would say it's more spiritual. But not orthodox, not in a sense inclined to Christ. It's inclined to the world. The Christ that they they want is the Christ that 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 in a sense they don't want to um, they don't want to deal with sin because they haven't dealt with sin in their own lives. So you the the jumping off the temple is basically like he said do not put the lord your god to the test that's interesting the response there is very interesting because in a sense it in a sense that pushing the limits of contrary ideas pushing the limits that go contrary to God. Right? Think of Martin Luther. Think of Henry VIII. Right? Think of the heretics, Arius. Think of the Monophysites, the ones who believe that um, there's only one nature. Think of that. Think of those particular people. Think of people today who want to make gay marriage holy. Thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. Think of that. Think of all those things. Right? It's, you know, that's, this is, this is where my, this is where I, my mind goes basically. Now, like I said, he takes him after that when that doesn't work. I mean, there's so much we can do with this part, with this one part and makes sense to me. And maybe we'll get back to it another episode, but it's really amazing when you think about it. Because what happened when in the garden, did God really say that you shall not eat any of the fruit. You see how he, he manipulates it? He he makes a broad stroke. And what happens is, is that your eyes shall be opened and you shall be like God. In a sense, it's pushing, it's really pulling God to the test. They're, what happens afterward? They eat of the fruit, and next thing you know, they realize they're naked. They lost their theosis. They lost their 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 relationship with God. They lost the divinity of God in them. And what happens next is they put clothes on made of leaves. Very biodegradable clothes. Like if you want to think about that, very environmentally friendly on the, in the, their case, but very poor. The next thing what happens is they get re- they get skins of animals. So God Himself goes further out from that. Okay, that's not going to do. All right, it's going to you know it's not going to help you. So guess what? I'm going to kill an animal, and I'm going to cover you with their skins. And he probably gave it to them. 
dripping with blood. Who knows? But the point is, it's they they themselves thought, like he said to them, you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. This, I think, points to sitting on the edge of the temple. Sort of like just on the edge of of heresy. On pushing God's limit. On putting God to the test. The temple, the church, you can't just stand on the edge. You have to be in it. To be in it Inside with everybody else, not looking down on everybody, which is what exactly what he, what he wanted him to do. He wants men to do, look down at them. You know better than them. They're stupid. They don't know everything. Jump off a bit and, and have the angels come down and, and, and guide you down very arrogantly. It's basically, like he said, you should put put the Lord your God to the test. Heresy, blasphemy, corruption. Not inside the church, but he, you know, it can be inside the church, but technically you're not inside the church, are you? You're outside the church. You're right there on the edge, on the corner, like a gargoyle, maybe. You're looking down at everybody, looking down at God. Because technically Jesus is an incarnate word and he came down and, and, and became one of us. But he doesn't understand that. He doesn't know it. Or maybe he, if he did, he wouldn't care, the devil, right? So the idea was, be right there at the corner of the edge of the temple. And literally it's almost like, you know how little kids spit over the edge at people or someone, or someone, let's say a heretic would do, uh, or someone who wants to preach heresy, maybe just piss off the edge at everybody. But he is look like when he's, but from the devil's perspective, he's looking down at God. This is as far as a man can go because a man can't go, a mortal man can't go all the way to heaven yet, at least from the devil's perspective. But heresy, look down at everybody, right? And put God to the test. Destroy, remember like sow evil seeds, sow thorns. All these things, that's what it's all about. Why the edge? Because a, a, a person who is not at peace with God, like a heretic, is always at the edge. Always to the point of destruction. And come up with bad ideas. You know, contraception, birth control, um... And like everybody always says, heresy is always from the top. 
never from the bottom. Heresy is always from the top. And I think it makes sense of that one. The rest, like I said, the, the, the empires and everything else, the empires of the world, again, it's almost like going back to the bread, but this time it's a little bit more. It's, I want it all. I want it all because what all human beings want. More money, more power, and then that means worshiping man, worshiping power, worshiping lust, worshiping politics. We, we know a lot of people like that. We know a lot of, there's a lot of people like that. Now we see that happening with the World Economic Forum. We see it with Soros. We see it with Carl Schwab. We see it with, we see it with Bill Gates. We see it with all these people, the Bidens and everybody else. We see this and eventually it all crash and burns. All right, so um, I'm going to end it here. It's long enough. It went out a lot longer, but I'm glad we went over it. I mean, I think it makes sense. I think some of it. I, well, I'm sure there's more people out there that can do a lot better than this, but it kind of makes sense now. I think the, the second command, the second temptation makes sense. Heresy. All right, so let's say in Our Father, a Hail Mary, uh, and um, we'll say a Saint Michael, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now the hour of our death. Amen. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Saint Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in the day of battle. Be our protection against the wild and wicked attacks of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.